All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Boombastic Cast. We're all getting, getting, you know, we're all coming down from from Will Smith smacking Chris Rock across the face at the Academy Awards. You know what I mean? The time has come for us to calm down, I guess. Society's still a buzz out there of this, all types of crazy madness with that. I guess the follow-up to it, we'll say, is that he, uh, he, he stepped down from being on the board of the Academy. And uh, we'll see. I was talking to a, fr- a friend of the show, Frankie Amagama, who's a SAG member, because I was like, what exactly does that mean? When he says, "Okay, I'm stepping. I'm not. I got. You know, I, I'm. I'm. I'm retiring. I feel what his word is. He was uh, stepping leaving, down. Yeah, stepping down, leaving the something like that. Whatever from uh, that. So I was like, well, what exactly is that going to do? You know, if I mean, if that if that was like leaving SAG, that'd be an issue because you figure uh, if SAG went against him." That'd be very troublesome for his career. I don't know how much leaving the Academy, he might never be nominated for anything again, but you never, Hollywood being Hollywood, they will not, they will nominate him again just as a, we're sorry for having to do this, Will. They will nominate him again. I don't think he'll be blacklisted. Um, but I'm very curious to see where it goes. Now, Hawk, I know that you, you, uh, you fell out with the Academy in the past, earlier in your career, when you first were a big star and now you're here. Um, did you have any issues like uh, after the fact? Did they come after you professionally or anything like that? No, no, no. They never came after me professionally. Uh, they don't invite me to the big dinners or the uh, you know um, the uh, get to meet you orgies anymore. But um, you know, well, it happens. So uh, of course, un- unfortunately, I don't get uh, you know I'll take those trips to Jeff Epstein's island anymore. Well, not not for free. Now you got to pay for them. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, uh, your boy, you, you Weinstein, you and Weinstein still pen paling it up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, it's funny because um, I think the only ones who like have been uh, you know, like um, kicked out of the academy is Epstein, uh, not Epstein, but probably um, Weinstein. Yeah. Harvey Weinstein, um, uh, I forget the director, the one who did The Last Tango in Paris. And then um, uh, Bill Cosby. Hmm? Oh, Roman Bertolucci. Bertolucci. Well, that, Roman he didn't Bertolucci. do Last Tango. That was like Bertolucci, I believe. Oh, that was, okay. That was another, Itali- uh, that was an Italian. Oh, okay. Well, oh, Polanski God. also was... They kicked him out because they gave him an Academy Award for the piano. So they, and that was way after all that foul shit he did. I don't know if they kicked him out. And I, everybody goes to Polanski because he did all that wild shit, and like nobody ever gives him hard times for it. As far as like, you know, organizations like that, like he's never lost love with it. They've always separated the person, the artist, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is that supposedly the ones that have been, like, kicked out of the Academy is, like I said, Bill Cosby, Weinstein, Polanski, and now, you know, in this case, Will Smith, you know, did on his own accord. They kicked, they but, kicked the Cosby? Yeah. Supposedly Cosby is kicked out of the Academy. But, I mean, the thing is, honestly, yeah. it's the the way I see it is that it's, 
I mean, as far as I know, they never had to give back any of their Oscars or any awards that they got. So, I mean, honestly, not being part of the Academy is kind of, I mean, maybe it, it lacks the list to ever be nominated or get an award after they've been, you know, kicked out of the Academy. But other than that, uh, I think it's just, you know, oh, yeah, we did something. We kicked him out of the Academy, but it doesn't have any actual legit, you know, like effect on anyone. No, they let they let Cosby out of jail because I believe they they I don't know that like he was uh, they 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 overturned it because they I don't know if you to go as far as say that they that he he's you know innocent man I don't know you know what I mean but like I think they let him out of jail for some reason he's not in yeah, jail yeah supposedly there was some kind of uh, technicality uh, with some of the uh, women that accused Bill Cosby of of rape. Um, yeah, I don't know. To be perfectly honest, I didn't keep up to date with that because right. I'm like, I, I don't know, and it's, I, I, I like to think that this was all that you know that Bill Cosby was innocent because I mean I was a big fan of his and thought that he did a lot of good, you know, stuff. Uh, right. but I mean. I mean, there's there's too much, too many people coming forward saying that he did all this shady stuff. Which, like I said, I mean, if you're not there and you don't have any actual, I mean, like I said, I don't know what's going on with that. And and it's, I mean, if, like, I mean, re- releasing someone on just a tech and tech uh, technicality. Uh, I'm with you. Yeah, releasing someone on the technicality um, and is, of course, doesn't mean that they're innocent. Just means that you know they were able to find some legal loophole to get them out. Um, and I mean, when I heard all of this go down with Bill, I mean, I was hoping that this was all just you know bullshit, but and, it was all just a fantasy. But yeah, I mean the thing is that when you de- there's there's so much shady and 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 crazy stuff that goes on with you know with people in general. It's like you know as soon as you get success, as soon as you have like enough money that you don't have to worry about like you know regular things. It's like it almost corrupts like your soul, right? and you just. Every bad and 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 terrible um, thought or impulse you've ever had, that you just start acting on it instead of you know, you know, holding it back. Because now you have the point where you think that you can't get in trouble or get punished for what you do. So true. True, 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 my friend. Yeah, I'll be curious to see where that lands with him. I'm sure they won't let him back in, no matter what, but we'll see because of the bad rap. Yeah, Weinstein, I could see definitely being out of the mix. I wouldn't be surprised if Epstein was up in a board member. He was so deep in with everybody, you know what I mean? Could be. I mean, like I said, Let's get we'll, we'll 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 get rid of all that negativity to talk about the sad affair that we have upon us today, ladies and gentlemen. 
Uh, the great Bruce Willis, someone we've always been big fans of here at the cast. Um, having to retire out, you know what I mean? Um, due to uh, aphasia, you know, which is bad news because, you know, not only does the disease attack, he won't be able to act, but he'll just talking, from what I understand, you were saying the Hawkman. Uh, it's not good for him. Yeah. Um, I mean, if I'm correct, I think it's uh, the the uh, disease where you have a hard time. You know, you might want to say, "Hi, how are you doing?" But instead, what comes out of your mouth is "cat, dog, uh, right as rain," or you know, some other combination of words that have nothing to do with what you're trying to uh, to say. At least, at least, I think that's what that disease is. And of course, I mean, especially if if you're an actor, that can really you know screw up you know you are performing your job. And uh, supposedly, from what I heard, he's been battling with this for a while, and uh, probably adds to the fact why. You now, as I said before, I mean, I'd be watching his straight to uh, demand uh, movies and all that, and. I always, I just assume that he, like a lot of other actors I've seen that end up taking that route, just didn't care that he just was, you know, not even putting in a, 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 any effort into his roles. But, um, but I mean, I guess this was going on and that's why he seemed to come off less than, you know, stellar like he used to. And that's sad. I mean, it's, I think I read, uh, you know, filmmaker Stephen C. Miller that did a few films with them said something about their time together. I I recall, I believe he said that he could kind of get a feel that something was up, you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, who's to say? I know he's got like eight or eight to ten films in the canon right now ready to roar out. You know, I wonder if he kind of stocked them up and just did them to get out. I wonder if that's why he made that jump to... You know, he's a gigantic superstar, you know what I mean? And then he just kind of started doing these lower-budgeted films. You know, non-blockbusters, we'll call them, to be to be nice, I guess, to the folks. Um, and, uh, yeah, I wonder if he just knew that the time that he had this deal and he just needed to stock up on the money. He said he was worth, like, $333 million or something like that, which is fucking beautiful for him. He's 67, yeah. you know what I mean? So that's a good run, you know what I mean? He ain't dead. He just has to retire. He he, he could have retired what uh, two three years ago, something like that. And that's how it goes. Um, yeah, and of course, as we know, we live in the wonderful country that believes in profit above all else, and we believe in that uh, one's health is not a right. It is a privilege that uh, that you have to have money for. And, uh, you know, instead of going the Heisenberg route and trying to cook meth to get all the money to, you know, take care of himself, uh, he did a lot of straight to uh, DVD movies, um, like Matt said. You know, if he can get, you know, uh, someone a decent pay for those and then you crank out 10, 7 per year, that stockpiles the money that will hopefully last him and, and and pay for his medical bills and all that till, you know, the fateful day when the Grim Reaper comes and knock. He uses the chimney. The Grim Reaper comes down your chimney like Santa Claus, I heard. 
But Maybe. yeah, it was very sad to hear this stuff. You know what I mean? You know, the time into the Will Smith, I heard a few conspiracy theorists saying that uh reason why Will Smith got so upset about that G.I. Jane joke is because if people remember back, uh, G.I. Jane, I think, was a, a, around the time that Demi Moore was uh, de- departing from Bruce Willis uh, for, you know, maybe she was heating on him, giving him some of them cheating. You never know. You well, might go, Bruce Willis get cheated on? You go, no, that's Demi Moore, too. You know, Demi Moore was hot stuff back in the day, and if Bruce ain't around to give us give us some loving, she'll probably have to go find her somewhere else. You know what I mean? That's kind of well, how it goes. Well, I, I do have to say this, okay, since we are, are tiptoeing over to uh, the whole, um, you know, Smith uh, escapade, yeah. that at least, I mean, even though I don't know the specifics, you know, Demi Moore was married to Bruce Willis, he left him for Aston Kutcher, yeah. uh, but yeah. you have to give Demi Moore at least credit because, okay, it happened, it wasn't like she went on the talk show to, you know, sit her husband down like, well, you know, you you understand that, you know... Um, it's a different time, though, where the media... I've been very close. I've been very yeah. close to Kustin, and he's been helping me out, and I've been helping him, you know, and uh, a little downstairs, you know, a little rub and tug, you know? Uh, I mean, it's... Mm. Because, I mean, that's... I mean, I saw a little bit of the interview and, and the thing with Jada try, telling... Will Smith that she cheated on him on video that out to cried, the right the poor guy huh he cried didn't he well he didn't cry but you can see in his eyes that he was hurt that he was very upset um and it's kind of like okay listen I uh, whatever your relationship is whatever you guys ha- want to do that's fine. Um, but I mean, when you make it like, you know, that public, okay. I mean, you, I mean, like I said, that, that you, you have, you have no right not to, to be upset if someone makes jokes at your expense. Okay. Because that, I mean, when it's a personal relationship between a man and a woman, whether they're married, whether they're not, and all that, it's between a man and a woman, not a man and a woman, and the entire universe. All right? Yeah. So, I seeing that, I can understand why you know Will Smith is already on edge, and you know, and and people tried to make a thing. Well, you know, uh, the GI Jane joke that had many uh, facets that you know. Uh, one woman said that G.I. Jane was used as a derogatory term to label a woman as not a woman, but as a lesbian. Yeah. And that, you know, that, you know, she's, you know, more manly than the actual woman and all that. Yeah. Which, okay, let's say, argument's sake, that sure. uh, Chris Rock was thinking this when he came up with a joke. To be perfectly honest, I don't think so, but let's say Chris Rock, you know, he had all these thoughts, he knew all this stuff, and he used it to uh, to do that. So, yeah, I hear you. And, like and my, my, the thing is that still, if that was even his, 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 his reason for doing it, uh, the way to respond to someone making a joke of you, you make a joke of them. 
Okay, that's that's how you don't as you don't go up and 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 slap someone because of making the joke. Yeah, and, Jim, and yeah. yeah, Jim Carrey's been big in the media too. It's funny he came out of nowhere and was a big deal because first he commented on how the Academy were cowards, and then he came out and he also then he he retired. He, he said he was going to retire right after Bruce Willis did, like trying to take some of Bruce's heat. We're giving him a little of Bruce's heat tonight too. On so we'll, we'll wrap this up quick, and then. He, also, he did something else where he 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 gave credit to to Will and Jada. I think ah weird. He's weird, but he knows how to play the fucking media game like nobody's business. Uh, Jim Carrey uh, is the fucking Jim Carrey is the media goat. So uh, aphasia, for anybody that doesn't know, it's characterized by trouble with language or speech, and is typically caused by an injury to the left side of the brain, which is responsible for language uh, comp- comprehension and production. You know what I mean? It is most frequent in persons over the age of 65 and is caused by a stroke, a serious head injury, a brain tumor, uh, and a degenerative neurological disease such as dementia. So none of the things that – it ain't looking good. It's not a good deal. So one of those – seems like one of those things must have happened, and none of those things are good. If there was a stroke, I guess you can say he survived it and he's through the woods on it. But I believe with strokes is if you don't do the right deal and, you know, say your prayers at night and take your vitamins, it's possible to have another one and they get worse as they come. Um, a serious head injury, you know, Bob Sagan knows about that, I'm told. Brain tumor, that's bad news. And a degenerative neurological disease such as dementia, that's no fucking walk in the park either. That's troublesome as well. So. It's very sad to hear about all this stuff with Bruce Willis. And when we heard this, me and Hawkman congregated in a church of Boombastic cast. And we said, we're going to say a prayer for him on the show. How could we do such things? We said, we'll do a nice episode to him. Not a top 10 AD type episode because the man's still fucking with us. Uh, so maybe some top 10 BD uh, before death. Now, nah, that was in bad taste, Huck said. The preacher said, you boys should do it. Get Doc. We said, nah. Not with Bruce Willis, because as you track down, you go, Bruce Willis is such a household name, you almost take him for granted. And then you kind of roll through the career of the films that he's done, and you go, man, this dude has given me a lot of fucking entertainment over the years. Uh, A true fucking superstar, you know what I mean? So so we came together. I think Buddy Butterfugo's idea was to talk about his films. So we said, all right, Buddy, not a bad idea. Uh, shout out to Buddy. He's in rehab right now, rehabilitation for the drink. He'll be out soon, and uh, our thoughts and prayers are with him. So what we're going to do today is we're going to roll through some of the Bruce Man's, you know, biggest deals, you know what I mean, um, and talk briefly about it. Uh, my attorney talked to Alex Hawk before the show, and he said that we're only going to talk briefly about things. We're not going to do hour and a half documentary making of of, of, of films as we roll through. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, yeah. dude, dude, dude. I, yeah. I'm not the only one. You two go, go on quite a bit. There's a lot of times I take the back seat to you. Don't worry. Don't worry, buddy boy. Oh, man. Did you say you two? Were you talking about Butterfuco as well? <laughs> you can't take a shot at a man when he's in rehabilitation, huh? Oh, come on. Buddy, like but, buddy can take a good shot. You know, he I knows would, how to take a good shot. How funny would it be if Alexander Hawk got canceled over giving Buddy Butterfuco a hard time? That'd be fantastic. All within the family. That'd be that'd be that'd be a good laugh. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So as we jump into this dude's career, he kicked off in 1980, which was good. He's been acting longer than me. Me and Hawk have both been alive. Hawk, I believe you're 81. Yeah, 81 for me. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny to see that, you know, they all started somewhere and nowhere at the same time. So it's fun to look at his early career and see the uncredited roles that he got. You know what I mean? Um, and the first Deadly Sin, Finn Guru Commit. I don't even know what the hell that was. The verdict, you know what I mean? First thing he ever got was a credit, Miami Vice. You know, I know I rocked out as a kid and was loving it. You dug the Miami Vice, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I watched a few episodes. I wasn't a huge fan. I mean, I prefer a Night Rider uh, fan. What was that? You more of a Night Rider fan? Eh, no, no. Um, I was more of a, a Nash Bridges fan, you know, uh, Don Johnson after uh, Miami Vice. Night Rider is one of the like top five greatest theme songs ever created. It's the best thing. It's the best thing that uh, Buster Rhymes ever rapped over. Uh, after that, you know, we'll skip a few things. Did you ever see Blind Date? I never seen Blind Date. Oh right? yeah, I saw Blind Date. What did you think of Blind Date? Blind Date uh, was mildly amusing. Um, it. Uh, I don't remember too much of it. I do remember that, like, the woman he ended up dating, her father was a judge played by William Daniels, who, oh. if you'll know, uh, Boy Meets World was Mr. Feeney. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, I mean, it was early on in his career, so he was less of a, an actor star. He was more comedy. You know, that's why he was doing the moonlighting series and all that. So it was, it was definitely a, a comedy, not an action film. It was, I believe definitely, let's see, let me check. Yeah. It was before he did Die Hard. Moon. Yeah. Yeah. Moonlighting was heavy too. I love that a lot. Sybil Shepherd. you know, that's kind of when everybody fell in love with them. I think the world, you see him on TV. That's why TV was so good for that breakout movie star, because you've already got that built-in audience that loves you, that'll go see you, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, Moonlighting, and then everything kind of changed for him. He never stepped back into the TV world, in a big way at least, after he did Die Hard. All right? This is some... Die Hard, John McClane, one of the top five maybe greatest action characters of all time in my mind. Uh, it is a Christmas movie, you know what I mean? John McTernan directed it, also known for, I believe, Predator and other, some other big heavyweight films. Um, this film was just a masterpiece. I know you love it. Alan Rickman's great in it. Reginald Will Johnson, our boy dude, you know what I mean? Carl Winslow, killing it. Um, a lot of really cool people in this movie. William Atherton, I always appreciate because he plays that Weasley character. A.L. Al Long, a boy. Uh, Christopher Mastino, our boy, uh, from Alice D, the Haunting of Alice D producer, just uh, produced a documentary on Al Young. So uh, that, we got to show love there, of course. Um, but yeah, Die Hard, masterpiece, dude. Just a fucking all-out action masterpiece, man. Uh, iconic. What's your take on Die Hard? Well, I enjoy Die Hard. Um and I definitely think that uh, uh, my favorite Die Hard actually is Die Hard 3. But uh, I do enjoy all of them. And, uh, I mean, 
Bruce Willis really nailed the, you know, kind of the regular guy stuck in a tough situation and handling his stuff. I mean, I do have to admit that it's not my favorite uh, Bruce Willis movie, but uh, I it's definitely in my top uh, top five. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it might be my favorite Bruce Campbell. He's in a lot of great bangers. Um, but yeah, definitely top five, probably definitely top three for me in country is a film that I own, but I've never watched. Unfortunately, uh, look who's talking. I forget that that was so close to die hard and early in his career. He just did the voice of course, but Mikey, you know what I mean? Uh, beloved kid followed up, followed up by, you know, die hard two came out after that die hard two and look who's talking Two both came out in the same year. That was the year of the sequel for Bruce Willis, man. Um, that was a bit. Both of those films are big. Die Hard Two, probably my least favorite of the Die Hard franchise. If we're talking about uh, the trilogy, I don't really consider the other ones Die Hard movies for some reason. Uh, maybe I'll give the fourth one a little bit of the Die Hard love, but I don't think it ventures any for- further after that for me. But uh, look, who's talking to? They might have done a third one. Um, but I think that stops at number two for me as well. You know what I mean? Well, they did a third one, but that was with, I think, Danny DeVito and someone else voicing their pets. It wasn't even babies anymore at that time. That's funny. That's comedic. Um, Roseanne Barr, I believe, came in to, uh, to play the, the, the sister mm. that was on his way. Um, Amy Heckerling, classic, you know, classic director. Um, yeah, but after that, the bonfire of the vanities. You know, I've, that's a good movie. It's fun. Uh, Brian De Palma film, I believe. If I'm not correct, if I'm if I'm uh, if I am, it may, may speak out of school. Um, it's kind of it's based off a book, I believe. It's a, like a dark comedy kind of. Um, you know, Tom Hanks is in it. That's probably why you would have seen it. Have you seen it? I've seen it. Um, unfortunately, when it came out, it was considered one of the biggest bombs. It was, yeah. Uh, I never read the book, so I couldn't say how close it was to the book or uh, anything. I thought it was okay. I mean, I, I definitely did not think that was the best movie ever. But I thought it was, you know, okay for what it was. And, uh, but a lot of people didn't like it. So, unfortunately, the bonfire of the vanities became a bonfire. Yeah. And not the podcast radio show that we love so much with, with Big J Ogerson and Dan Soder, but an actual bonfire burning to the fucking ground. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, I remember this film, you know, it's a different, it was a different type of movie, I think, for, Brian Del Palma, where it was kind of camped up Brian Del Palma's style a little bit. A masterful filmmaker, but that film just, uh, he must have loved the book. That's all I'll say. You ever see Mortal Thoughts? Mortal Thoughts? Actually, no, that doesn't sound familiar to me. Yeah, I didn't catch that one either. I don't think. That's not the Madonna film, is it? No, that's uh, with Demi Moore and him. I wonder if that's where they linked up and fell in Louvre. That could have been yeah. where they fell in Louvre. Uh, next up Hudson Hawk I know you get down with some Hudson Hawk oh yeah that's a classic I like it 
That's another movie that a lot of people didn't like. It was more comical than anything else. Yeah. I mean, there was a little action, but it was more of a, a comic uh, thing. He, was he plays... Cool uh, he had a great look in it with that hat. I remember oh, yeah. that, rocking that hat. Yeah, he was he was a thief. It was him, Annie McDowell, um, and a lot of other talented. I, I, a young David Caruso was in it. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It was you know tongue in cheek. It, it kind of uh, had a feeling of like his moonlighting comedy. I think. And, uh, but it was one of those things. I think a lot of people at that time, because it was after Die Hard, I think more people were like, well, you know, he's an action star now. Why is he doing a, 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 a comedy? But I mean, you can do comedy and action and you can do it both at the same time. But a lot of people are like, when they see you in one thing and love you in one thing, they have a tendency to only see you. As that one thing, right? And unfortunately, that you know kind of stifles the creativity uh, that a person can output. He really, when you really look at his career, like I was saying earlier, when we were looking back at the career, it's like it's very well rounded. It's not all action. There's comedy, drama, all thrown in there. A lot of good shit. Uh, Billy Bathgate, I never seen that, but it's kind of like a, a period piece gangster flick. Um, and he's not like a big, big part of it. He's not a star, but he was still kind of on the come up a little bit. But um, like I said, I'd never seen it, but I would. You know, Hoffman was it. Nicole Kidman was in it. Uh, Lauren Dean was in it. Uh, Rated R, which I could appreciate for a mobster flick. They need to be. You're making a fucking gangster movie and you're not rating it R. You're rating in the wrong fucking direction, homie. You know what I mean? When you're going to talk about subject matter, about killing people and fucking all that stuff, and you gotta, it's got to be rated R. I'm sorry. Uh, next up, The Last Boy Scout. You know what I mean? When people the ask Last people, Boy Scout is the best Bruce Willis movie ever. You know, when people ask me what my favorite moment in football history is, I always say that opening scene in The Last Boy Scout. That's my favorite moment in football ever. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love this movie. Um, I mean, it's written by Shane Black. You got Bruce Willis in it. You also yeah. got Damon Wayans. You got That's a great uh, you know, supporting cast. Heck, you got a, a small role with Halle Berry as... as Damon Wayne's girlfriend that dies early on. It's badass, dude. It's a badass film. You yeah. know, that opening scene, I love. I love that scene. You don't see stuff like that anymore. It's fucking dark, great, real. Do you remember the opening scene? Oh, yeah. I'd hope so. I mean, yeah. I mean, where else do you have a guy running down for a touchdown and he pulls out a gun you and want he to starts sp- shooting his way to the end zone? It was ahead of its time. It was very ahead of its yeah. time. You know what I mean? We haven't got there yet, but we'll, we'll, you will. One day, tragically, very tragically, we'll see one day. There'll probably be some foosball player that loses his mind before he retires and uh, does that. And well, I, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, at that point, I will purchase the gentleman's jersey at that point because that'll definitely be one for the record books for sure. I was gonna do. I was gonna go on a weird 
uh, tirade where I got the jerseys of all the athletes that are uh, known to be killing people off. Like Hernandez and O.J. Simpson. You know what I mean? Speculate I'll, 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 I'll get you O.J. Simpson's uh, jersey, dude. I wanted to buy the original O.J. Simpson jersey, but the dude who was going to sell it to me, O.J. attacked in a hotel room in Las Vegas, and I could never get that back. I'm very, very sad by that. Very sad. You know what I mean? One of those things. You know, one of those things. Whatever happened to the Reggie Lewis jersey he was wearing when he died on the court? Exactly. Alex Ock owns that shit. Um, the, the player, uh, Robert Altman film, very cool film that I do own. I do own, but I haven't watched. Criterion put it out and I picked it up, but I put it in my Criterion pile. I have a big pile of Criterions I need to watch. Uh, and I never watched it before. And you know why I didn't watch it? Uh, because the dude who stars in it, to be honest with you, me and Tim Robbins kind of got beef a little bit. I ain't going to lie. All right. Um, not really a big Tim Robbins fan. He's been in some things that I really appreciate. Shawshank Redemption. Um, you know, uh, what's the horror movie? The, the Jacob's Ladder. You know what I mean? He's been in some stuff that I appreciate. Um, but not a lot. Uh, fewer and far between. More so not than more so. More so, more so. You know what I mean? Um, but I do want to check this out. It's about old-timey Hollywood, which I always dig. You know, it kind of has that uh, bonfire of the vanities type vibe to it a little bit. But I wouldn't say it was a rip make off because you've got the great Robert Altman doing it. And uh, I don't think he'd sign on board for that. You know, the rest in peace, Fred Ward, who passed recently. Greta Scotch is in this. You know, it's got a little bit of who's who's, you know, the late Brian James, who never gets enough mention, passed away like 20, 30 years ago. Um, the, the man would be Goldberg's up in there. She was just in some heat. That's funny. Um, Peter Gallagher, Dean Stockwell just recently passed. You know what I mean? Your boy, Vincent D'Onofrio, um, you know, Jeremy Piven before he was, uh, what's his name on Entourage? And, uh, you know, we're going back some. But yeah, this was, a, I, I I am, am working up the nerve to watch this film and I'm going to do it for Robert Altman and nobody else. You know what I mean? <laughs> Definitely not for Tim Robbins, but maybe uh, this could be the film that changes my opinion of him. You know what I mean? Have you seen the player? No, I haven't seen that movie. No. We'll have to watch it together. All right. Next up. Next up we have, you know what I'm talking about? Death becomes her. Yeah, that's a classic. I like I, it. Yeah, dude, I didn't know where you were going to go with it, but I really loved uh, Death Becomes Her. I thought that was a lot of fun. Robert Zemeckis did it. You know, it's kind of like a horror comedy, I guess. Yeah, it's a horror comedy. Well, um, yeah, it is. Uh, plus, also, the fact is that um, what I liked about was Bruce Willis went and made himself as geeky and, and un- uh, you know, uh, hunk as 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 possible. Yeah, and and I always, I mean, they always uh, joke uh, joke around about you know how a woman gets an Oscar is she has to dirty herself off, be unsexy, and then you know do a great performance. And you know, I think that's the case with everybody, even good looking guys. Yeah, and that's that. And Bruce Willis, you know, did that in in uh, Death Becomes Her. 
Death Becomes Her, I want to rewatch because I remember really, really liking that a lot as a kid. And I, when I watched it as a teenager, I really liked it as well. And I haven't watched it in a long time, unfortunately. I remember it had a lot of style. Um, it was funny. You know what I mean? It had some really, you know, it's, it's a comedy horror, so there's not too creepy. But, like, you know, some of the makeups were really cool looking. Um you know, some of the effects, you know, there's a part where she gets a, a hole blown through her stomach. That was funky. Um, I remember, yeah, Death Becomes Her is a very fun film. Robert Zemeckis, you know, that it had a very early, dare I say early, well, not even because this was a little later in the game, but it had a very Peter Jackson-y, kind of had a Peter Jackson-y vibe. Um which around this time is when Peter Jackson was starting to kick, make waves in New Zealand with his film. So I wonder if I wonder if any influence was taken. And this, when you really think about it, dude, like I could see Peter Jackson or Guillermo del Toro being people that could have helmed this project and really done something cool. Like Death Becomes Her is a film that I could see Guillermo del Toro doing now and being Academy, nominated for an Academy Award. You know, I don't see no difference between that and A Nightmare Alley or any of the last three films that he did. Realistically, everything he did after Shape After Water, Shape of uh, Out of Water, he did a few weird, weird. They're like weird horror noir type genre. It's his niche, and he's the shit at it. But it's like, and he can do other things that I probably appreciate more than those. But um, he's got this weird uh, vibe, which is very Death Becomes Her. Ooh, death becomes her. Huh? So we can both agree that we love that and that he was magnificent in it. Now he's going to start kicking up into some heavy shit that you know we've all seen and we all know and love. Loaded Weapon 1. He's in, uncredited, man whose caravan is attacked. That makes me laugh that he's in that movie. And I think, you know, Loaded Weapon 1 for me is probably my favorite National Lampoon's movie next to, uh, you know, those, those, those originals, you know what I mean? Like there's been a lot of National Lampoon's movies outside of those like Chevy Chase originals that, you know, were fucking uh, kind of awful, you know what I mean? But this one was, I remember Loaded Weapon being really funny and good. There's a load, there's a National Lampoon's Father's Day movie starring, um, the Fonz, Henry Winkler, and it's broken up into little segments. And there's a segment that Dice, the Dice Man, uh, does a se- stars in a segment, and it's fucking one of the greatest segments of all time. It makes the entire anthology. Other than that, that anthology would be woo, garbage. Uh, you see Loaded Weapon One, right? Uh, yeah, I I saw it. I mean, I have to admit, I don't remember his role in it that, that at all. No, it was, but, like, it was uncredited. It was just something he did because he was around or a friend of somebody, probably. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, was fine. Of course, uh, my favorite was uh, with Kathy Ireland, uh, Emilio Estevez uh, blowing in one ear and her hair puffing up on the other side. Yeah, I think I'll, you go back and look at that movie because it was kind of made exploiting and lampooning action movies of the time, you'll probably see a lot of really sexist shit and like maybe even racial shit in there that would get him in trouble nowadays. The great John Lovitz doing like the basic instinct vibe. 
Samuel L. Jackson before he became cool Samuel L. Jackson. Like, say, anybody out there that doesn't understand, you know, the Samuel L. Jackson you know and love today is not the Samuel L. Jackson that was originally offered to the audience. You know what I mean? He was like a real nerdy, lame, straight character in a lot of things before he became that badass mother trucker that everybody knows and loves him for. Kind of before he met Quentin Tarantino, realistically. Um, but yeah, Loaded Weapon. If you haven't seen it out there, go do yourself a solid and watch National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon, uh, starring Samuel and Emilio Estevez. Uh, and this Lampoon's action films of the time. And I don't know if it was the time or what, but I really like Loaded Weapon a lot. Next up, Striking Distance, kid. Heck yeah, that's a classic. That's a good flick. That's definitely a good flick. I remember that being a lot of fun. Yeah. Has my boy Tom Sizemore in it that I've uh, I've been on a few projects with. Unfortunately, haven't worked with him, but I have been involved in some projects that uh, he's also been involved with. Oh yeah, man! The great Tom Atkins is also in there. We got Brian James again, rest in peace. Dennis Farina, rest in peace. You know what I mean? Robert Pastorelli killing it. I think he's rest in peace. And then your girl, Sarah Jessica Parker, Sex in the City herself. Yeah. Oliver Platt's also in that one. Oliver Platt, your boy? Yeah. I support Oliver Platt. Yeah, it was, a, it's, a, it's a fun, you know, psychological thriller slash action film. It's, uh, yeah, uh, Bruce Willis plays a cop chasing down a, um, uh, a serial killer. Yeah. That is killing. Uh, From the water, right? Well, yeah. The thing is that uh, he was, uh, he and his partner were on, on, on the heels of the serial killer and um, stuff happened and he believed his, uh, his partner killed himself because he, uh, his partner uh, was known for doing some, you know, dirty cop shit. Right. So uh, he uh, he testified against him, and then later you find out that the serial killer is his ex partner, who was doing it at that time, and then later uh, started uh, came back and started doing it to women that Bruce Willis either had like a one-night stand with or that, you know, he actually had a relationship with. And, you know, then, of course, it all boils down to, you know, the big, you know, blowout at the end. Sounds like he was in love with Bruce Willis, if you ask me. Well, maybe he was. Maybe he was like, if Bruce Willis isn't going to be with me, I'm going to make his life a living hell. Yeah. Are we talking about... Bruce Willis or Bruce Will Us? Will us live together in love and harmony? You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe. You never know. Now, I the Striking Distance film, I also got caught up with Color, Color of Night because they were both on the water oh, yeah. in boats, if I remember correctly. But for some reason, I, f- I feel like that's true. And for some reason, I remember liking Color of Night a lot more. And because of the time, maybe there was... Um, was there like uh, more graphic sexual scenes in that film or something? I okay. feel like here's the thing. Okay, yeah. first of all, uh, Color of Night really didn't have anything like connected to the water. Oh, it didn't. 
No, no. Okay. Uh, the the thing is, uh, Bruce Willis in this one. I love this movie. Yeah. Uh, he he uh, plays a psychiatrist, and he uh, it starts off where he kind of tells his patient, you know, to you know get over herself, and her response was to throw herself from the window in his office mm. and crash on 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 the pavement. And you know, as the blood is seeping from her body, he looks. And he becomes colorblind, so he doesn't see the color red. I mean, other than that, I mean, it doesn't add to the story itself, but it's just a weird thing that they decide to throw in. That's funny. Um, that was creative. I enjoyed, That was back when they weren't afraid to take fucking weird routes, you know what I mean? Weird little plot twists and stuff. But but the best thing about Color, um, color of Night yeah. is the fact that not only did you have Bruce Willis Okay, you had uh, you had Brad Dorf, right. you had Lance Henriksen, yes. you had Kevin J. Connor. Yes. Okay, you had so many great character actors and actresses in this film. And Scott and the Bakula, thing is, yeah, Scott Bakula. And and the thing is, he ends up, you know, he he decides to retire as a psychiatrist, but his other friend, who's also a psychiatrist, Scott Bakula. Asked him to come in and sit on a uh, on a group session, and afterwards he pretty much says that he's been getting like um, threatening letters on his life and all that. And then he gets killed, and Bruce Willis ends up taking over the the group, and he has to try to figure out who's who's the one who killed his friend and who is now seeming to target him. Mm. And and the thing is that I picked up Colorado Night uh like a couple of years ago. And the the thing is it had the original and also had the director's cut. And the director's cut has a lot more steamy sexiness, if you know what I mean. I than the original. I remember as a kid seeing Color of Night and being like Woo! Like, remembering in my head that this was a movie I really enjoyed. And I want to say it's because there was, like, some steamy some steamy sex scenes up in it. It had a cast well, of actors that I was used to seeing, too. That that always plays it. Well, I, it had a lot of steamy, sexy uh, sexiness in it, which, you know, was great. But like I said, even though, uh, I mean, that's what they kept in. There's a lot of stuff that they didn't kept in. That was even steamier, if you can believe that. It got you going. It yeah. got the Hawkman going. You had to turn off the, the video. Yeah. I heard about that. So uh, we, we skipped over, you know, some small films. Uh, you know, the, the, the smallest film we skipped over, of course, is 1994's Pulp Fiction. Um Bruce Willis was doing fucking multiple films every year for a long time. Mega films, even up until um, nowadays. But Pulp Fiction, dude. Woo! Quentin Tarantino's follow-up to Reservoir Dogs was kind of real first Hollywood film. I remember there being hype around this. I remember when this was in theaters. Um, and this was the talk of the town. Even as a young kid, I remember people talking about this in school and stuff. And um, I didn't see it till a little bit later. Um, like, I didn't get to go to theaters to see it. But when it came out on video, we've seen it. 
and uh, very cool film. You know, recently, you know, a couple of days ago, I was at my sister's house and my uh, my brother in law to be was watching Pulp Fiction. You know what I mean? He was telling me how he got a he's on a Tarantino kick. Uh, he seen Django and it kind of spurned him into wanting to watch, you know, some other Tarantino flicks. And I said, well, yeah, you know, Pulp Fiction for me is a movie that I can only watch Pulp Fiction every couple of years. I feel like watching it too much is an overdose of cool um, because the movie's just it's so much style and so cool. And it has it's so iconic that if I watch it, if I watch it too much, I'll start to like pick it apart or something. I don't know. Or I'll, I'll, I'll get bored with it. It's weird because it's a great film. I don't know what Pulp Fiction is a very weird movie for me, which I love it, but like I love it from afar. Some some old poet used to tell me this. I love it from afar thing back in the day, and uh, I think it was Alexandria uh, Huckenstein um, used to tell me these things. Yeah, yeah, very smart woman. Very smart woman, and uh, we got to have her on the show one of these days. But yeah, Pulp Fiction, you know, quite possibly one of the biggest films he's ever a part of. If I remember correctly, he might have had a hand as a producer on that film as well. I know Danny DeVito was a producer on it, which always kind of was a funny thing because you wouldn't expect to see um, DeVito producing a film, let alone a gigantic film like that. But uh, he does those things from time to time. You know what I mean? What, what's your take on Pulp Fiction, my friend? Um... I I do like Quentin Tarantino, like a lot of his films. Um, I have to admit, Pulp Fiction, for me, is on the bottom of the list. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I never was a big fan. I didn't like it. Um, I mean, personally, again, uh, no, no shot to Quentin, because like I said, he's done a lot of films that I really like. I always thought that Pulp Fiction was a little bit overrated. For, for for it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Samuel Jackson in it, but a lot of, I don't know, just something about it just never really, you know, really brought me in. So, we had yeah. Quentin lined up to be a guest, so thank you thank you for that. My sorry, wife. Quentin. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't love everything you've done, man. I love everything you've ever done, buddy, except well. for Death Proof and Inglorious <laughs> Bastards, but I've come around on Death Proof, and I always enjoyed the first half uh, of Inglorious Bastards to the fullest. You know what I mean? Uh, the funny thing, Tarantino wasn't even a producer on on Pulp Fiction, so he didn't get to the he he wasn't holding that much weight yet. Uh, I'd, like, I'd probably say what Pulp Fiction was probably the last time that he probably didn't have full control over of whatever he wanted to do, so to speak. I think after that, probably that paved the way for him. He was a true rock star. When when Reservoir Dogs, he was like the underdog new dude that everybody had seen gigantic potential in. It was on the come up, so to speak, in the Hollywood's eyes. And once he dropped Pulp Fiction, he was fucking a rock star. And, uh, you know, he went and did Jackie Brown. And, you know, there's certain parts of that. You know, some people don't like Jackie Brown. I, I like it a lot. I think it's very underrated. I think you, you enjoy it. I think it's one of your higher up films because actually it's more story orientated in a, in a way. Like he's a great writer and they're all story orientated. But like, I don't know what I don't know what it is about Jackie Brown that's kind of different than the other films 
if you just have a bunch of really good, I don't know, because there's always good actors in his films. There's something very different about Jackie Brown, but very the same about very Quentin, but different than the other films. But um, Bruce Willis is not in that. So we're not going to talk about that film at this time, but Pulp Fiction, Gigantor, you know what I mean? Big deal. Very big deal. Uh, There was supposed to be a sequel. Remember that those days? And the other yeah. film we forgot was 1994's North. I remember North. North was a fun movie. He was the narrator throughout. Um, and, uh, you know, the Rob Reiner film, Elijah Wood. You know, Elijah Wood, I believe, is a kid who uh, is looking for parents. I don't know if he is famous or whatever the deal is, but he's looking for parents and people all over the world are trying to be his parents. So you'd have all these fun cameos from these celebrities playing these different people from all over the world, if I remember correctly. And at the end, he finds a family that he loves. It very well could be Bruce Willis's character or somebody else. But by the end of it, he kind of finds the family he wants to be with. Have you seen that film? Um, I've seen bits and pieces of it. I never seen all the way through, but, uh, your boy Jesse Smollett is actually in it as a kid. Oh, Plays cool. Adam. You guys devised that plan together, I remember. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I me- yeah, I remember him. I am North's a weird movie where it goes, you know, very few people know about North. Um, it was a time and a place movie. It was a movie that I think didn't, wasn't as successful as they might have wanted it to be. And it kind of went because when you think about it, dude, it's like a lame fucking idea for a movie. And I'll be honest with you, the movie's not that good. Like I remember it as a kid being like fun for whatever reason because you were seeing all these stars in the same movie. I think it had that element to it. But like I wasn't I, as a movie, I don't remember it being good. You know what I mean? But uh, who am I? I'm nobody's fool. Like 1994's film, nobody's fool. You know what I mean? With your boy Paul Newman. He took a break from doing fucking salad dressing to make a movie mm-hmm. with Bruce Willis and Jessica Tandy. You know what I mean? Um, I haven't seen this film, but uh, you know, Paul Newman and Robert Redford are in the same category with me where once they hit a certain age, I really don't want to look at them anymore. And that's no offense to the people. Cause I have the mo- utmost respect for everything they've done. They're true icons. But after a certain point, I just don't really want to see them anymore. You know what I mean? I'm sorry to say that. I'm sorry to upset the world. Um, have you seen Nobody's Fool? No, no. That's one that I missed. I'd probably like it because it's like a weird, it's rated R and it's uh, uh, it's like a, it's a weird dark comedy if I remember correctly. I'd check it out. I probably shouldn't be so stubborn. I shouldn't be, uh, I shouldn't be anybody's fool. I should probably check this out. Uh, what's funny is I probably own it. I probably own the VHS of it somewhere. And I, I have so many movies I've just never even watched. Uh, I'm saving it for my retirement. Now, next up, 1995, Die Hard with the Vengeance, my friend, which I really loved a lot. Uh, I've seen Die Hard 2 in theaters, and I've seen Die Hard 3 in theaters. It was very nice. Um, I thought Part 3, Die Hard with the Vengeance, was better than Part Dose. Um no offense to fucking um, what's his name? Oh, now I'm now I'm in, now I'm in utter complete pain because I forget the dude. He did the Nightmare on Elm Street. He directed a Night Rennie Harlan. He did Prison and he did the Nightmare on Elm Street. I think four. Um, he directed Part Two, 
and it was very uh it was fun to go back to, but it's definitely not my least, not my not my favorite of the films. Um, but part, you know, part we, right here, part part three, you know, perfect example of the new Samuel L. Jackson. Right after Pulp Fiction, badass motherfucker. Don't fuck with Sam. You know what I mean? Um, you know, this was a really, you know, Jeremy Irons as Simon, the villain. I thought was really cool. You know, he was kind of. He was like a, a, a smart, you know, when they go for the smart terrorist, smart bad guys, it doesn't always work. But I think that he was perfect because he was just as cold and smart uh, and such. And I'd have to go back as far as fucking Alan Rickman, who was great, the great villain. And Hans Gruber, fucking fantastic. Um, you know, there's the famous moment where he has to wear that sign in New York. Oh yeah, life. I remember seeing that for the first time and just being like, "Imagine that! Imagine having to do that! Holy shit!" Actually, it's funny that um, in uh, uh, in Die Hard with a Vengeance, there's actually a a young man in in the beginning with uh, Samuel L. Jackson, one of the kids that uh, walks into the the store. And uh, and Samuel L. Jackson pretty much gives them some, you know, like uh, life lessons. You remember that? Yeah. Well, one of those kids actually is quite famous now. Really? Yeah. A very famous actor. Is it Jesse Smollett? Nope. Is it Chris Rock? It was Will Smith? Aldous Hodge. Now, what is he in? What's he in? He is in. Uh, he was in the series Leverage. Okay. He was also in. Uh, he's going to be in the Black Adam movie as okay. Hawkman. Uh, but uh, he's been in a lot of stuff. He was in uh, Turn, Washington Spies. Uh, he also was in uh, City on the Hill TV series that was actually filmed in our own backyard in Boston. Yeah. Yeah, the thing is, he's been in a lot of stuff. He was in, like, the second Jack Reacher movie. He's uh, been in a lot of a lot of cool stuff. Very talented actor. Um, but, yeah, his very first role was as one of the little kids in uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Directed by uh, John McTernan. They brought him back from the first. You know what I mean? The original director returns. Maybe yeah. uh, I don't remember. As a, I was a little too young to know box office stuff, but yeah, part two must not have been a big, big success to go back to, uh, unless they planned it that way. They could have planned it that way as well. Nineteen, you know, to collect the, the second one I think is more suburban, isn't it? Um, out of the city. The second one. His kids are out of the city. I remember. What? His kids were out of the city. I remember, like, it, there being a more suburban, you know, not so much being in a big city atmosphere, but I could be wrong. Well, I mean, the second one was in the airport. Uh, the third one was, like, a whole city. Yeah. And, uh, the first one, of course, was just the plaza. The airport. Uh, All right. Yeah, that makes sense. I was trying to think of why they would, Rennie, why they would, you know, outside of, you know, Outside of, uh, you know, issues or whatever, 
a box office, why they'd bring the director back, but not give him the sequel. But you know what I mean? I thought maybe there'd be a reason why they gave Rennie an airport movie. Maybe a prison movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. For sure. All right. Um, Four Rooms. Have you seen Four Rooms, the anthology film? No, I haven't seen that. Uh, Four Rooms is really cool. It's, um, I believe, Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, and Alexandra Rockwell, and Allison Anders. Um, and they all did, like, 20 minute shorts or whatever. Um, you know, I like Rodriguez's one was the misbehaviors, which was really cool where it was the two parents go out, um, on a night on the town, Banderas is the father. I forget who the mother is and they leave the kids and they're in a hotel and they keep calling down to Tim Roth, who's the wait, like the waiter, the whole thing revolves around him having to go to these different places. Um, and there's like a hooker under the bed that they find. It's just a weird thing. That one's pretty good. Tarantino's is the one that Bruce Willis is there's also one about a witch coven. And there's one about a dude held up in a room about to kill himself, I think. Um, or about to kill his wife or something. He's got a gun. He wants to kill somebody with a gun. Um, he's a the soprano dude from the Sopranos um, and a bunch of other shit. And then, but the Bruce Willis one is Tarantino is the man from Hollywood. And it's these celebrities that are in a, they're in like the penthouse and they're all fucked up and they're playing a game where they got, they got to, they're, they're like going to cut the dudes and cut his finger off for like a bit, gigantic sum of money or whatever. And uh, I think Bruce Willis is the dude either wanting to put up the money or wanting to get his finger cut off. But, um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, too. Four Rooms is a very underrated film for anybody that's never seen it. It's a real fun anthology film. It's kind of when, you know, Rodriguez and Tarantino popped and they were fucking, they were it. And, um, you know, the other directors, I wasn't really too familiar with them. Um but uh, you know their 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 segments were all cool too. You know what I mean? They were kicking. They were in underground. I think underground female filmmakers that were kind of killing it. And you know Hollywood's Hollywood. And at that time, it might not. It might that just kind of been the unfortunate politics is that they were just as talented, but weren't able to make it to the big, you know, the front of the stage because you know gender or whatever. You know what I mean? But uh, Four Rooms is definitely a film to check out for sure. Absolutely. Uh, it's an anthology film. It's weird. It's not really a full straight feature. I'm sure it's going to be streaming somewhere. I've never seen it, to tell you the truth. I've had, I own a DVD of it, but that's just, that's really the only time I've ever seen it. Um, next up, 12 Monkeys, you know, the Terry Gilliam film, which is always good times. Wacky, you know, uh, Bruce Willis fell right into being a madman in this. This is great. I really like to see Bruce Willis go over the top. It was always fun when we did that. You know what I mean? That was really good shit. You got any memories of 12 Monkeys? Not really. I mean, I saw the movie. I thought it was good, uh, but I never really connected with it. Um, I mean, like you said, it was cool seeing Bruce Willis doing something more unhinged. uh, But... uh, yeah, I really have to say that, you know, I I didn't really connect with the movie. I thought he did a good job, but uh, the movie definitely wasn't one of those that I put on, like, a top ten list. Yeah, I mean, I believe, I, I believe it's based off of a book. The whole movie's crazy. Brad Pitt's also in it. Mandolin Stowe's in it. John Cena's in it. 
Um, it's a fun, it's a fun flick for sure. You know what I mean? It, it's it's Gilliam. So like you kind of you're getting into a weird world. He always creates a weird world. Perfect dude to probably make it. Um, a lot of people say that it's kind of. Uh, I remember when COVID was going down. There was the people were talking about Twelve Monkeys again. It was one of those things, you know. And then the next up, a movie that I know the Hawkman loves, and I love myself, uh, Last Man Standing. Yeah, that's. I mean, Last Man Standing pretty much is. Uh, uh, I forget which one specifically, but. One of the earlier, like, uh, The Man With No Name uh, Westerns with Clint Eastwood, yeah. one of them is pretty much the exact same plot as No Man Standing. The difference is they said it in the 40s instead of, like, uh, during Western times. And, uh, yeah, Last Man Standing was great. Uh, you had... Uh, Patrick Kilpatrick uh, in a small role as uh, as an enforcer in the beginning. Uh, you had Christopher Walken and uh, burning up like candles. Yeah, I do have to say, I have to say, one of the things that I found hilarious about this movie, yeah, was the fact that the the you have them, you know, shooting with like machine guns and other kind of pistols and that kind of stuff. But they went over the top in how people were like thrown back by being hit by the bullets. It was very stylized. And I'll never forget, it was the very last scene, and you have the showdown between Bruce Willis and Christopher Walken. And they're squaring off at each other. And, you know, Christopher Walken turns his back and starts walking away. You know, as if he's going to walk away. Then he decides to turn to try to shoot Bruce Willis. Yeah. And Bruce Willis shoots him. And what I found hilarious was they decided to have him be thrown backwards, which makes no sense to how they were positioned with with the guns and all that. Yeah, I thought that was just freaking hilarious. To go, that thing you were saying about the old westerns, you know, a lot of those old westerns are based off of old like Japanese samurai movies, you know. And like in this film right here, Kara Kurosawa, Ryuzo Kashima get credit, you know what I mean, um, for the story. You know, they did films like High and Low, Yojimbo, you know, The Hidden Fortress, stuff you can find on the Criterion Collection. Uh, Criterion needs to give us kickback. Free, we want free Blu-ray copies, two Blu-ray copies of. Um, Every release and every back release. Pronto. Thank you. So, Last Man Standing classic. You know what I mean? Very cool vibe to it. It's like a Western, but like flipped on its head a little bit. You know, the great Walter Hill uh, direct, directed it. You know, Walter Hill is known for a whole bunch of really, really cool shit. Iconic in the action genre. You know what I mean? Uh, still kicking it, I think. 48 hours. Uh, you know what I mean? He, a part of it, he wrote it. You know, he directed it as well, but he had a good writing and directing career. Um, a lot of action films, you know what I mean? Bolt to the Head more recently, one that I know. You know Dead for a Dollar, I guess he's got a new one coming out, which is cool. But Hard Times with um, Charles Bronson, classic The Driver. The Warriors, you know what I mean? Iconic fucking film, you know what I mean? 
Brewster's Millions jumped into the comedy a little bit. Streets of Fire, 48 Hours, Southern Comfort. Red Heat, Johnny Handsome, another 48 Hours. Last Man Standing. Supernova. I remember going to the theaters to see Supernova. Maybe I shouldn't have, but I did. But um, I always uh, dug Walter Hill big, and he's fucking still killing it, dude, which is beautiful because uh, he's got to be getting up there in age. He's fucking an iconic filmmaker. Next up, Beavis and Butthead do America. I remember the film vaguely. Watched it when it first came out, and that was about it. And I don't really remember his cameo. He did a voice cameo, and it is muddy, but I don't quite remember. Uh, he did Bruno the Kid, the animated movie, more cartoons in 1996, um, which is pretty cool. I'd like to actually watch that now, Bruno the Kid, because based off of his singing when he was a singer. For anybody that don't know about the Bruno album, go check out the Bruno album. There's certain celebrities back in the day that stepped out and actually released music. Bruce Willis is one. Eddie Murphy is another. Um, you can probably find a whole handful or double handful of folks that have done it. Uh, George Burns did, a, did an album called I Wish I Was 18 Again, which is an incredible album. That's all I'll say. Next up, The Jackal. What do you know about The Jackal, Hawkman? They, used to, they call you The Jackal in the streets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, The Jackal. That was with him and Richard Gere, I believe. Yeah. And it's actually a remake of an older movie, also by the same name. Mm. Um, pretty much, if I remember correctly, uh, the Jackal's like uh, a hitman that uh, that no one has seen, and they grab Richard Gere, who's another convict who had worked with the Jackal and is one of the few that only actually saw his face. And... You know, it was it was it was a decent uh, you know action you know espionage shoot 'em up kind of film. Mm. Um, compared to the original, it's not that good. The original was more psychological, more mental. This was you know they they took the name and they took the very bare bones of the idea, and they're like, hey, we got Bruce Willis. Let's make this an action film. And cut down on the, you know, you know, the mental aspect of it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it it's enjoyable enough if you go in and you close off your brain. But it was based on a film that actually was also based, I think, on reality. Uh because isn't the jungle was hmm? isn't everything a little bit? No. It's kind no. of you know Star yeah. Trek isn't based on reality, dude. Bruce Willis is the jackal. And Richard Gere is the gerbil. You ever see that? <laughs> yeah, I, I get that joke. I get that uh, joke. Sidney Poitier, the late great, just passed, passed recently. Um, very sad stuff. Rest in peace. He was also in this, killing it. Probably way out you know, he was probably too big of an actor for this film. Uh, but what can you do? Richard Gere is a gentleman that I can give or take. I don't know if I can say we've had beef. I don't think we know each other. And we'll probably keep it that way. You know what I mean? Uh, but and there, a young J.K. Simmons getting into the into the system around this time, which you can't hate on. You gotta love young the impersonator Jack Black, the impersonator Bill Goyne is in this. Uh, very, I remember this film being fun. You know what I mean? I remember he also had a cool look in this, if I remember correctly. He switched up his look a little bit, didn't he? Because he was kind of uh, on. They were trying to get him, right? Trying to hunt him down. Yeah. All right, you know, it's one of those things 
every now and then, yeah, you know, you got to hunt down a jackal in order to get jacked off. You know what I mean? That's horrible. Uh, you would, the, the fact you would text me that joke to say is fucking horrifying. But next up, we have a film called The Fifth Element. Woo! My goodness. Luke Besson's The Fifth Element from 1997. You know, stars Bruce Willis, Mila Jovich, probably in her, my favorite role she's ever done. And Gary Oldman, you know, when the world is really coming to know that Gary Oldman is a force to be fucked with uh, and a super talent. You know, one of the most colorful characters I can think of in, in action films, you know what I mean? Uh, sci-fi extravaganza, you know what I mean? Uh, I think this might have been Luke Besson's kind of big Hollywood deal. Maybe his first array. Maybe The Professional was his first array in Hollywood filmmaking. Uh, him and Gary Oldman were quite a quite a deal. I forgot for a second that some of my favorite Gary Oldman characters, which is you know him in this, and of course him in The Professional. Him and The Professional, Gary Oldman and The Professional, probably top three favorite villains of all time. He's that good. He's that fucking awesome in it. And Gary Oldman's the shit. You go look at a movie like True Romance, the, cat, the villain he plays in that is phenomenal too. You know what I mean? That's where, that's where he earned his reputation for me, at least with those films. And now he's just, people give him praise for the movies he does now, but I feel like in a good way, he already earned all his respect. He's just kind of riding the wave of it now. And he's good in these things, but I don't know if they're as iconic in the mind and will do the test of time the way that these other films will. But, you know, Bruce Willis is the shit in this. He's like a, uh, like a futuristic uh, cab driver who's stumbles into Mila, who's this like key to the universe. You know what I mean? And uh, he has to protect her. You know, she's got a bright orange hair. Which was the, at the at the time and now is the shit. Uh, bright orange <laughs> hair. If, I, if you got if you're rocking bright orange hair with a good attitude, you get my respect right off the bat. Multi pass. Multi pass. Uh, what's your take on the Fifth Element, Hawk Man? I know you've got to love this. Oh yeah, uh, big fan of the Fifth Element. Of I definitely enjoyed uh, enjoyed Bruce Willis in this. Um, and uh, and also um, uh, Chris Tucker, whom oh, I have yeah. to admit I am not a fan of, but I do enjoy him in The Fifth Element. I think he really worked well in this. He went there. Chris Tucker wasn't afraid to go there with The Fifth Element, which I'll always give props and respect for. I like Chris Tucker overall, too, as a comedian and, and the other things he's acted in. Brian James was also in this film, dude. Brian James... Rest in peace and shout out again, dude. That dude, not only being in one of the greatest Tales from the Crypt episodes of all time and having the most fucking intense, intimidating, I don't want to say scary because it sounds mean, but having a face to it fucking melt butter, you know what I mean? And just be like killing it, dude. He, You know, if you see his face, you'll know who he is. He never really got too many starring roles. I think he's in House 3, uh which is called fucking the horror show. I think that's one of the only things he's ever starred in, but he's co-starred and, you know, been in a whole bunch of stuff. And I like seeing him pop up and stuff. It's always good. But yeah, Brian James, he's in there. Uh, the film's just filled with, with cool, cool people. And the, the style of this film is magnificent. The fifth element 
in all of Luke Besson's films, really, I think is one of the first filmmakers, me and Mike Calvin, uh, the dude who shot DJ Stan, the man in the site, uh, bonded over. I think he's probably one of the first filmmakers we really kind of kicked in the gear on. Did you say all that you wanted to say about The Fifth Element and Bruce Bruce Willis? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, I just... It's definitely one of those films that I, I always enjoy, and uh, that was a lot of fun. And, of course, I mean, Bruce, uh, Bruce uh, Will has just nailed it yeah. as, as Corbin Dallas. And uh, I love the movie, man. I love the movie. 1998 brought in Mercury Rising, which it, it kind of goes into the, those Color of Night um, and the one before that, their uh, Striking Distance. I kind of put them in a weird category together, not because I think they're all in the water, Huck. I made that mistake once. I won't do it again. <laughs> uh, they all kind of have that same vibe, if I remember correctly, but nothing too notable, nothing too much to write a big letter home about. But Well, um, I mean, the thing is that I, I do agree that uh, all three of them kind of have a similar kind of uh, feel to them. Yeah. I think it's mainly because they're more, I mean, they got the action, but it's more like psychological, yeah. I think, at times. Um, I mean, out of the three of them, Mercury Rising is more of a action uh, vehicle, I think. And and the whole whole story is you have, Bruce Willis that ends up finding this uh, kid whose parents are killed yeah, because, because he was uh, an autistic kid who loved puzzles. And at the uh, end of like uh, a puzzle game, uh, if you can decipher this code, you, you call this number. And the kid not being, you know, being a kid and being autistic and being able to figure it out uh, end up calling the number. Now the number uh, went to like some like government agency, and it shows that that the code that they thought was unbreakable was breakable by a nine-year-old autistic kid. And Alec Baldwin, being this you know son of a bitch um, character in the government, you know, wanted to protect you know the. The, the the knowledge of it getting out that his code can be broken uh, decides to set, set out a, a wet team to uh, kill the person that broke the code. Right. Of course, you know, um, he ended up killing off the parents, but the kid survived, and Bruce Willis being the, uh, the cop, the detective, ends up, you know, grabbing this kid and protecting this kid. And, yeah. of course, the entire story is him, you know, uh, trying to keep this kid safe. Yeah. Next up, Armageddon. You know, I don't Armageddon know on, you mean. Armageddon on. Armageddon on, kid. Uh, gigantic, you know, Michael Bay blockbuster film. You know, it, 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 was a, it was good for what it was. You know what I mean? Billy Bob Thornton's really cool in it. Affleck's nice in it. Um, yeah, I really, I, I, I liked it. It's, I don't, you know, the big blockbuster movies, I don't feel we really need to say too much about because people already appreciate them. If we don't like them, we can say we don't like them or why. But for the most part, you know, it was a fun blockbuster film. I enjoyed it. What do you think? I only got one thing to say to you about it. Yes. Leaving on a jet plane. 
don't know when I'll be right. back again. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a fun action film. Uh, Bruce Willis does a great job. He he does give a very heartfelt you know ending speech, which uh, which was really good. And uh, yeah, it's it's. I mean, if you like Michael Bay action uh, extravaganzas, this is no exception. Yeah, did you ever see the siege? I didn't check the siege. Out. Oh yeah, I saw the siege. Is the siege is is a, uh, it's a it's a good it's a good film. Uh, Bruce Willis plays kind of like a general, I think, and I think is Denzel Washington, and um, I forget off the top of my head who the the actress was, uh, but. Um, let me think for a second. Annette Benning. Annette Benning. Annette Benning. Okay. Um, and the whole thing is that Bruce, uh, that uh, Denzel Washington, who's a cop, stumbles across this massive terrace cell in New York City, and uh, and the whole thing is that Bruce Willis comes in as the uh, uh, the head of the military. And pretty much puts uh, New York down in lockdown, trying to, you know, find uh, these uh, these terrorists. And of course, the end result is they wanted the military to come in and to, you know, shut down New York as part of their uh, plan. Yeah. It was really well done. It was uh, it was uh, great acting, a lot of uh, interesting portrayals. And it was uh, uh, good to see Bruce Willis and Denzel screwing off at each other. Yeah. Now, are you you familiar with The Breakfast of Champions? No, I don't know that one. Uh, We'll skip over that. The next up is probably the second coming of, you know, the the third coming, I'd say, of Bruce Willis, where, you know, he had the eight and then the nine. Pulp Fiction was his second coming. Um. And then after that, I'd say the third, the third coming. You know, he he gets a lot of performance in. Dang, he, he's on some blue chew or something. And we need some blue chew sponsorship talking about these third comings. Uh, the Sixth Sense, the M Night Shyamalan, oh, fucking yeah. huge, gigantic film. I see dead people. You know what I mean? Haley Joel Osment back when he was thin. You know what I mean? <laughs> back when he was a little boy. Back when he was a little boy. Little boy. Um, little boy, little boy. We like Osmond over here. Big show. We're all heavy guys together. It's all good in the hood. But uh, yeah, the Sixth Sense. Fucking. Do, do you remember figuring out the twist before you got to the ending? You one of those people? No, I wish I was, but no. Uh, at the end, I was like a lot of other people. Like, what? What the hell? Huh? He uh, was a ghost. And then, of course, you rewatch, and then you see all the clues that were there, and it's like, ah, oh, cool. Yeah, I enjoyed Sixth Sense. I thought it was well done. I really like Bruce Willis in it because, uh, I mean, uh, as I'm not saying that Bruce Willis was over the top or anything, but he's he was very more, how should I say, like melancholy, more kind of. Because a lot of times Bruce Willis always uh, plays kind of that joking character, right. and as uh, as uh, playing in in the uh, Sixth Sense, you know he was definitely, um, and and you felt for him. You you felt for Bruce Willis's character's situation, not realizing 
that, you know, why things were falling apart. And then at the end, you find out that, well, he's dead and he just never realized it. And and actually, the sad part is that after you realize that his character is dead and, and you rewatch the movie, you can understand how someone can end up in a certain position in life that you can be dead and no one really is interacting with you, but you don't notice. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is honestly the saddest part of that movie. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, next up, The Story of Us. Not the story of the Boombastic cast, which that will be a, a movie of Bruce Willis one day. But the story of us, I've never seen Rob Reiner directed. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is in it. There are him, you know, him and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer are a couple that are just going through hard times. Uh, you know, a long-lasting marriage. It's probably one of those, you know, Rob Reiner directed it. It's probably one of those, like, half-life lesson type deals, you know, to save people's marriages and stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, or maybe he felt that his marriage needed to be saved at that point or something. But uh, I, it doesn't really seem like my cup of tea. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of heavyweights on there. So it's possible that one day I could watch it. But that day is probably not tomorrow or today. <laughs> but everything else will be cool in the guy. Uh, the whole nine yards, I remember watching when it came out. That's a reboot. And um, I believe that was a reboot, right? Um, I honestly I don't was, know. I didn't think it was. I could be wrong, but I thought that was an older movie. Uh, if it was, I don't remember that. I'm, um, the whole nine yards. Oh yeah, um, whole nine yards. I really liked. Yeah. Um, it was with uh, Mr. Chandler Bing from oh, Friends, no. Mr. Matthew Perry, and uh, and of and and the late uh, Michael Clark Duncan. And uh, of course, Bruce Willis. Uh, it it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I thought that Matthew Perry and um, Bruce Willis worked well off each other. I thought they had good uh, comic timing, uh, chemistry between the two of them. Um, and I really enjoyed it. But actually, there's a funny thing that I wanted to bring up about uh, the whole nine yards. Yeah. Now. When Matthew Perry and, and Bruce Willis was doing that movie, uh, Bruce Willis didn't think that the movie would uh, crest like $1 million or something like that. Right. He, he didn't have very high hopes for the movie that they were in. Now, Matthew Perry thought that was going to definitely make you know a profit and, and all that. So Matthew Perry bet Bruce, saying that if the movie, Whole Nine Yards, you know, it was successful that Bruce Willis would have to show up and and be uh, do uh, an, an episode at least of Friends. Oh yeah, and that's why that's why Mr. Bruce Willis was on three episodes of Friends as Mr. Paul Stevens because he met made a bet with Matthew Perry and he lost that bet. So whether he actually enjoyed doing it or whether he was like, well, I made the bed, I might as well do it. I'm sure he, he had did, fun with it. Yeah, he did at least three three uh, uh, episodes in 2000 uh, 
as the character Paul Stevens, which I've, he, he was like a father of like a uh, girl that one of the guys were dating or something like that. Yeah, I remember something like that. I remember I had to, my mother watched that at the time, like when that was big. So I, I kind of had to get sucked into watching it myself type deal. Um, and I, I remember him popping up there. I remember him also having a real fun cameo um, at the end of a Roseanne episode. I don't know if you ever watched Roseanne, but there was an episode where, like, she came out of the bathroom in their bedroom, and she went to go lay in bed with what she thought was going to be Dan because he was under the covers, and then it uh, it jumped up, and it was Bruce Willis, and he gave her a big hug. So he just kind of crashed the the set of the show, which I thought was really cool. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, next up, The Kid. Did you ever see The Kid? Yeah. Yeah, I actually had a feeling you would. Yeah. The kid, I mean, it it was a fun, fun film. It's not the best, uh, right. pretty much. I forget the specifics, but uh, um, he Bruce Willis is he's unhappy and disliked. Image consultant gets a second shot at life when he is mysteriously confronted by an eight-year-old version of himself. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they ever get into why all of a sudden the eight-year-old version of uh, version of himself showed up. I don't remember that aspect of it. I do remember he shows up and... It's part of the aphasia. <laughs> uh, maybe. But, um, yeah. Uh, so he showed up and um, it was it was cute uh, seeing Bruce Willis, you know, con- uh, connecting with this kid and trying to, you know, kind of get in touch with, you know, the inner child within himself, which I think that is an important story because the older you get, the more that you forget about how to be a kid again, how you forget to, you know, just enjoy life because society just beats that out of you. They don't want you to be happy. They want you to show up, do your job, go home and just leave them alone. That's true. Make them money. We don't care if you're happy. You can be dead for all I care. We just want you to show up and make us some money. Well, that's no good. That's horrifying. You know what I mean? Well, that's the society we live in, buddy boy. I don't want to live there no more. Uh, we're going to live on it until uh, it gets blown up. I'm unbreakable. Now, <laughs> unbreakable, the, the, his next film is the Sixth Sense follow-up, I believe. Um, to was that M Night Shyamalan's second Hollywood film, or did he do one before that? I uh, that's a good question. I'm not a hundred percent sure because, um, I know that uh, uh, that um, I mean the uh, uh, Sixth Sense was like the his crowning achievement that really you know put him up on the stratosphere, and then um. Then of course, because uh, a lot of uh, films, signs or this, it's either signs or Unbreakable is no, no, Unbreakable. I just double checked. Unbreakable is after Sixth Sense. Signs was after Unbreakable, and then The Village, I think. Yeah, which was his first kind of failure, if you will. See, well, a lot of people hated The Village. I thought The Village was well done. I liked it for what it was. I went to theaters to see it. Um. The happening he did, and I wasn't. There was so much could have been done with the happening. 
even if you got Mark Wahlberg, you can still there's so much good stuff you can still try and bring in. Well, the thing was with the happening, I thought it was an interesting concept. I like the idea like he was the idea playing with, yeah. but the the just the casting was awful. I mean, yeah. not just Mark Wahlberg, but Zooey Deschanel, who I still to this day have no idea why the heck she keeps on getting work. She must know someone in the industry or married to someone in the industry because I, she and her sister, both of them are like doing very well in the industry, and yet they can't act. He's not going to quit till she gets a chance to work with Alexander Hawk. That's what she says in her documentary. Uh, but I, I mean, but yeah. the thing is, like I said, happening was one of those that a lot of people panned. Yeah, I mean, I can't see it because I mean, you, you look at Mark well, Wal- Bruce Willis wasn't in it, and we're, we're, the episode's getting long. My apologies for bringing up the happening. No, no, no. See, you opened it up. We have to no, go. No, no, no. We Let's have to open. We have to go through the door. We Let's have to go through the door. You open. Yeah. It's all your fault. Let's just talk about bandits instead, man. No, no. You open the door to, 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 to the happening. Buddy so, Bifuco told me to talk over to you if you get this way again. Well, tell Buddy to go screw himself. But Barry Levinson, you know, iconic filmmaker in his own right. You know what I mean? I, I seen this and I thought it was fun. This was a fun movie. Two bank robbers fall in love with the girl they've kidnapped. Billy Bob was really good in this as well as Bruce Willis. I thought this was fun. Did you not like this one? Eh, it was okay. I'm not saying it's great. I'm yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad or great. It it was it was one of those films that you know I watched it and I was like, eh, okay. <clears throat> yeah, I no mean, worries. no yeah. worries, no worries. It happens, you know. Sometimes these things happen. You know what I mean? Um, next up, Hearts War, which I've never seen Hearts War, but the only thing I know that jumps into my brain when I say Hearts War is um. Our boy, um, what's our boy name? Uh, um, uh, Jonathan Brandis. Our boy Jonathan Brandis was cut from Hearts War, and I think, and, and supposedly he went into a big spiraling depression. That being one of the factors, and that's why he's no longer with us, which is sad. Um, that's a broken heart war when I hear that story for sure. Now, did you see Hearts War? Because I didn't see that. One. Yeah, I saw Hearts War. Um, I thought it was a good movie. Um, and uh, I thought it was well done, and yeah. uh, and all of that. I thought it was uh, I thought it was cute. Um, it was cute. Yeah, a, a war movie that was cute, huh? I like that. Yeah, it was cute. Yes. I mean, the thing is that uh, it was one of those movies that I thought a lot more could have been done with it. Yeah, I guess. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was, it was decent enough. Uh, pretty much you have, um, you have, uh, these, uh, prisoner wars in World War II encampment. Yeah. And this, um, uh, African American gentleman is, uh, uh, accused of, I think, either espionage or killing a guard or something like that. And then you have Colin Farrell. Uh, playing Hart, who uh, has to try to pretty much um, defend him in this kangaroo court. Yeah. And uh, 
Bruce Willis, who's the colonel that's also in with them, he he actually knows who actually did the uh, the crime and all that, and they're trying to keep it under wraps because some of the prisoners, Hogan Hero style, have been tunneling out of the prison because there's a an ammunition uh, port nearby, and they've been going over there to and and they're going to you know uh, blow it up. And of course, uh, the the whole court system and all that uh, was kind of put to keep the uh, the guards uh, preoccupied so that they can do their mission. Yeah. Uh, what I did like was the fact that even though Bruce Willis pretty much said that you know he didn't really care uh, what happened to this gentleman. That, you know, with that Hart's job was to just keep the trial going on. He knew that the guy was going to be found guilty by the guards, no matter what the evidence was brought up. And and he and, and his small group of guys went over, they blew it up. And while the rest of the guys made a run for it, Bruce Willis's character came back and took the bullet. That was meant for the other, the guy who was uh, who was being uh, accused, and he took the responsibility of being the one that did the crime. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, out of respect to Jonathan Brandis, we're gonna go on a fast track for the rest of this. So we're gonna. I think we're already rounding the two hour mark and. We don't want to get too wild for the people out there. We also don't want to make it a two-part episode. That is not healthy for the children. Um, but we, you know, some films that pop to mind that are big that I enjoyed. If if I leave anything out, Hogman, you let me know. You know, we don't really have to touch on the whole ten yards or Ocean's Twelve hostage. I remember seeing, and that was kind of fun for what it was. Um, it was an interesting, weird movie at the time. Sin City is probably the forthcoming, you know, use Blue Chew, uh, the forthcoming of um, Bruce Willis. You know, that was gigantic, fucking huge film. Um, you know, groundbreaking with effects, just really cool. You liked Sin City a lot, I knew, right? Yeah, Sin City was good. Um, I do have to say that the last movie that he did that I thought was uh, his best movie that was the last thing he did was 16 Blocks. I remember we talked about that when we did, um, I think, um, what's his name? Um, Checking the Gate, Richard Donner. Oh, yeah. It yeah. was Richard Donner's one of Richard Donner's last films for sure. Um, yeah. You know, even yeah, Alpha Dog, which I thought was kind of fun. I know his, it wasn't a huge part in the film, but. I remember Alpha Dog was fun when that came out. 16 Bucks, like you said. Lucky Number 11 was a fun film. At that time, I remember that being fun. Uh, Josh Hartnett, um, you know what I mean? Uh, Fast Food Nation. I've seen bits and pieces of it, and uh, it was interesting. I wouldn't mind probably checking out the rest of the deal. Grindhouse, of course, was a big deal. He was in Rodriguez's Planet Terror. Uh, as Muldoon, you know what I mean? He played like that lieutenant guy in the post-apocalyptico. And then Planet Terra, you know what I mean? Like I said before, 
Yeah, fantastically killing it up. Um, Perfect Strangers, I've never seen. Uh, did you? Um, I know of it. I never watched it. Um, it was one of those like, um, like uh, psychological thrillers, if I remember yeah. Uh, correctly. Yeah, Live Free, Die Hard. Uh, that, uh, that's the last passable. Probably, I think the last passable Die Hard movie. I'll give them that just because I love the rest of the franchise. I think that's the fourth one. Um, I'll give them that one because I love the franchise, but that's all I can really do for them. Cop Out, of course. I know Kevin Smith came out recently and said that he apologized for talking some Shiatola about Bruce Willis saying he was a little difficult or cranky on set. I remember him saying those things. I don't think he really ever said anything too bad, but it's always good to just let them, you know, look. Him doing that thing is just kind of letting Bruce Willis know it's easier, I guess, than picking up a phone, not physically, but emotionally easier than just picking up a phone and going, Bruce, my apologies for talking shit when I did. Um, So he did it, you know, through the media, but I'm sure Bruce Willis heard. Uh, The Expendables, I remember he was a big deal on that. And my favorite story about The Expendables is how we weren't, we, uh, we weren't, was it, we worked with fucking, we worked with Eric Roberts right before, right after he did The Expendables. Right after, I think. That's why that always warms my heart. We worked with him around the time he was doing The Expendables, The Dark Knight, and um, and Coherent Vice. Always, that makes me smile. It's a beautiful thing. Um, Red, Red, or I own Red One and Two. I've never watched them, but I know that they're liked a lot. You oh. like them, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, they're a lot of fun. Uh, it's uh, it's definitely you know it's it's Bruce Willis with you know his his his, his uh, comic timing and also um, action expertise. It's I mean I really I mean as far as I'm concerned, Red was the expendables uh, with Bruce Willis at, at, you know, being Bruce Willis. Right. Um, because they had, you know, like uh, John Malkovich, they had uh, um, uh, Helen Mirren, they had uh, Brian Cox, um, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, and, uh, Bruce, and I love Bruce Willis in both of those movies. He did a great job and is a lot of fun to watch. Moonrise Kingdom, I enjoyed the Wes Anderson film. Uh, that was good. Bill Murray's also in there. It's the one about like uh, Boy Scouts. You probably dig that one. Yeah, I, I didn't. I have to say it's. No, no, it's it. Well, here's the thing. Okay. And I know that I'm going to get a lot of crap from you. As a scout. Well, 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 well yeah. I have never seen a Wes Anderson film ever. Oh, all right. That's fine. Okay. Um, not that, I, and I, I'm not, <laughs> and I'm not saying because I don't, I, I think he's a bad director or any, it's just that, I mean, from the trailers, I love his style and all that. It's just that I just, I just, it feels like I have to be in a certain mood to watch like a Wes Anderson film. To a degree. And, I, I can, I can agree with that, but that's like a lot of filmmakers, I think sometimes and, Wes well, I just, I just never found the right mood to be into a Wes Anderson film. I guess his earlier live action stuff's really good, and he's been doing a lot more like animation and stop motion stuff recently. That's that's that stuff's really good as well. 
because uh, it's more modern day of what he's going for, what he likes, you know what I mean? I think it's cool, and it's probably cheaper, I'd say, to make it. But he's been, the last couple movies, I think, were like, were like, uh, like almost animated. Like, Moonrise Kingdom isn't, uh, wasn't, I should say. But, uh, yeah, I like Wes Anderson. I, I'd have to say that I haven't really kept up. Like, I've probably, I don't know, out of the last probably... The last seven movies he's released, I've probably only seen maybe two or three of them. So I, I do enjoy his style, and usually the films he makes, I just gotta. I've been kind of sleeping on him, uh, so I should probably wake up on him soon and uh, check it out. You don't see him on streaming stuff, unfortunately. I've been streaming a lot of my shit the last few years, so if I don't catch you on there, I'm not gonna catch you. The days of going out and just buying everything new because it because it's new uh, for the collection are over. My DVDs started failing me. They started getting the rot. So now I'm in a world where I thought if I bought it, I would always have it. Now I'm realizing that's not the case. So I don't want to go spend more money on fucking movies. I'm only renting. You know what I mean? Um, but we'll figure out something to get through the day. Looper was fucking really good. I like Looper a lot. That was with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, someone who I think is a super fucking talent heavyweight. We should see more of them. Um, you know, we've got a guest coming up in the future that worked with him that we'll have to get the lowdown scoop on him. Um, but yeah, you like Looper, right? Looper was like, I remember at the time, Looper was like really good from when that came out. Like that was the talk of the town around that time. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was really well done. I thought it was uh, an interesting, uh, sci-fi, uh, film and story. And, uh, and of course, I mean, Bruce Willis, uh, killed it. In that movie, that was from your dude with the Knives Out and Brick and stuff. He's a guy who directed that. I know you're a big Knives Out fan. Yeah, love the movie. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought Looper was really cool. You know, Paul Dano, my boy's in it too, uh, which is always nice. I always like to see him in the mix. Next up, we have your boy, your boy kid. There's not like a good day to die hard. You know, that's probably a good movie to call it quits before watching, I'd say, on that. Um, you know, Dame to Kill for that with Sin City, part dose. You know, that kind of came way too late. It took him 10 years to fucking make that. The way that he could turn them out so quick, he sure has fucking done it for cheap, a part two, maybe a year or two after the first one, and it would have been a big success. A lot of them look different, even though it's a lot of makeup and CGI, and, you know, people have gained weight. There were certain folks that gained weight. You know, you could tell it was just kind of weird and, you know what I mean, uh, it was a weird vibe. Uh, Extraction we'll bring up, because I think that was the first film we did with our boy Stephen C. Miller, um, which was, that was a cool flick with the Marauders, which I, I gotta say is one of my favorite Stephen C. Miller films, I'd say top three, um, and I think it was his best outing with uh, Bruce Willis, in my opinion. What's your takes? Well, I mean, I, I I enjoyed both of them. Um, yeah, uh, but definitely it, it's. Well, I was I was going yeah. to say that I think I think around that time was I mean if 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 uh, what he's uh, suffering from did start. Uh-huh. I have a feeling it probably started around that time because that's when I started to notice that 
what I thought was just not being, you know, excited about the work and just walking through it. Yeah. I mean, that was about the time I started seeing that. I mean, the last time I saw a film that he was in that I thought that he still was, at least looked like he was either enjoying himself or actually, you know, put uh, trying to put in a good performance was Red 2. That was the last time I saw him in something I thought he was still trying to, you know, I can that see. he still enjoyed himself. Yeah. He also did uh, First Kill with C. Miller as well, right? Those are the three they yeah. did together. Yeah, um, yeah. Extraction, Marauders, and First Kill. That was the, the trilogy, right? Yeah. That's pretty dope for Steven. I got to give him kudos for that if he's listening out there. I think that's really a shit. You know, I like his films anyways, but to be able to have a Bruce Willis trilogy under your belt is pretty fucking cool. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. At the end of the day, dude, there's the Glass i never seen. That's probably the, the, the only next notable film to kind of bring up, unfortunately. Um, but I didn't see Glass. I know, sir, it was kind of... Uh, I heard very mixed on that. Some people liked it. Some people really fucking hated it. Did you see it? Um, it's funny. I have the movie, but I have yet to actually watch it. He has that cameo, um, the split. He has the cameo in Split too. Yeah. I will say also Death Wish, the Eli Roth Death Wish movie from I think two thousand eighteen, two thousand eighteen. I think it was was fucking. It wasn't great, but like it was pretty good for what it was. I thought he was a good dude to play the Charles Bronson character at the time. I think that fit. Eli Roth was kind of trying to cross over at that point for, out of a, a horror guy into more of a mainstream filmmaker. You know what I mean? He did that House of Clocks movie. He did this. He did something else that Knock Knock wasn't, wasn't it was horror. It was more psychological thriller, but he, he had some more like mainstream efforts and you know, for a mashup of Bruce uh, Bruce Willis being being uh, you know the Charles Bronson character in Death Wish, uh, and Eli Roth doing it, the Paul Kersey character, um, I thought it was I thought it was good for what it was. You know what I mean? But yeah, I definitely feel you with what you were saying about you did kind of see a point where the spark went out where yeah, it didn't and fit. like like I said, I mean, I I just. Because I've seen this so many times where you have an actor who, you know, has done great movies and then all you see is straight to like, uh, uh, you know, DVD movies and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and you just, I mean, you watch it and, and, and it's obvious that they're just walking through it or they just don't care about what they're doing. Um, I mean, I don't know if, this was like when he started having problems or whether, you know, it was a combination of both where he was kind of, he found himself doing these straight to uh, DVD stuff and he wasn't as, you know, excited about the work, yeah. which is also a possibility. I mean, um, I mean, I mean, yeah, like I said, like 2014, I mean, like the second Sin City and, and, and other films that I saw that he did after uh, 2014, he just didn't seem to be, you know, it was like he was going into like a retail job and was ringing people up and had, had no like, you know, energy or or spark anymore. And I just thought it was, 
he was just like at a point where he wasn't happy with the roles he was given. Yeah, no, I hear you on that. I hear you. That's what it, it does come off that way. You know what I mean? I was just taking a peek at the last couple of things, you know, that uh, he had coming up. Uh, you know, it looks like some straight to video stuff. There was one film in there, you know, called Paradise City, which uh, it's got directed by Chuck Russell. You know what I mean? Chuck Russell's kind of, we've talked about him on the show before because he's the director of The Mask. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, He directed Nightmare on Elm Street 3. He directed The Blob. You know what I mean? Um, Reboot, The Blob Reboot. Um, A lot of cool stuff. I guess he's doing a, a Witchboard reboot too. Um, but yeah, you know, he's, so he's got that, that, that seems like the most promising thing he's got coming down the pike. No offense to anybody. Um, you know, he's got this white elephant film, which I think is directed by a dude, usually like a stunt man. So that he's finally getting their hookup and being able to direct the film, which I applaud that, you know what I mean? Um, uh, you know, yeah. Did he take a peek at any of the new shit he's got coming? Um, I mean, the only thing that I saw that, uh, he had coming, uh, was, I think, Apex Predator. I saw the, um, saw the, uh, uh, trailer for that. And like I said, it, again, it seemed like, you know, he, he really didn't want to be there. Um, and, uh. But it's it's sad. I mean, it's I mean, we all grew up with uh, Bruce, and and we've liked a lot of the stuff that he's done. Uh, obviously, he's been struggling with this for for quite a while, and uh, it's sad. It's really sad. Yeah, it's one of those things. Nothing, nothing. I'm just, there's one of the movies was called. Fortress Sniper's Eye. I think that Bruce Willis looked at his IMDb and was like, I did a movie called Fortress Sniper's Eye. Maybe it's time to pack it in, kid. Um, it's unfortunate, you know what I mean? But yeah, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things, you know what I mean? He, he, got, he just did a film with Tyson and Theo Rossi, uh, Thomas Jane. I haven't seen him in a little bit, you know what I mean? Uh, so... It's one of those deals, you know. He's put out. He's got like eight or eight to ten more flicks coming you guys' way. If you want to check them out, check them out. They'll always be the older ones. Gigantic legacy. I mean, iconic forever. Uh, some of those movies will be around till the, there's no more, no more movies. You know what I mean? Die Hard, Pulp Fiction, The Sixth Sense. You know what I mean? Um, those movies are never going to be as long as there's films. Those those films will never be forgotten. You know, and he's got more films like that that fall into that category. Um, so, yeah, definitely sad to hear that the career of uh, Bruce Willis is is to go over. He's going into retirement. Glad that it's retirement, not death. You know what I mean? Hopefully he can kind of chill out, relax, enjoy the rest of his life. I get a feeling like we'll st- still see him from time to time. I wouldn't be surprised if he popped up in a Tarantino movie for just something super quick, one-liner, We'll see how bad he gets. Uh, hopefully, it's not too bad, and uh, he can control it before it gets that bad. Or however, they take care of stuff like that. But uh, you want to say anything closing about Bruce Willis's uh, career? 
Um, not much uh, more than what I've already said. That uh, I mean, Bruce Willis, um, is is an icon for definitely us '80s kids. I mean, we grew up watching him and wanting to be him. Mm. And uh, I mean, it's it's. I mean, it, it's sad that he's leaving, but it's also good that he's leaving. And, and I'm hoping that, especially with everything that uh, he's made, uh, uh, that he can spend, you know, uh, a good, fun retirement. You know, hopefully get – I mean, maybe – I mean, I, I hope that, like like Matt said, that he, he – I don't know how they treat, uh, treat this um, disease. Mm. I hope that there's a way to keep it under uh, – you know, kind of keep some kind of normalcy with it. Yeah. And if that's the case, I, I hope that he's able to, you know, enjoy his life. I mean, he deserves it. When you said you wanted to be him, you know, that, that, that resonated with me because I can't think of how many times I've broken up glass plates and glass uh, drinkware to walk across in my kitchen to cut up my feet like he doesn't die hard just so I could feel what it was like to be John McClane because he's such a legendary man. Hey, I, 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 I do that on a regular basis, man. That's why my feet's all cut up because I wanted to walk in his shoes. Is that what it is? I thought it was diabetes. Oh, same thing. <laughs> so I seen your bed. You lay in glass. Yeah. You're a glass layer in, in the cleanest of form, not dirty. You could get dirty with the glass. Who knows? Getting yeah. dirty with the glass is a messy occasion. Heck but yeah. with that being said, you know, everybody go out there and watch your favorite Bruce Willis film and uh, take it in and uh, pay respects in your own way. Uh, we still got him in this world, but not in the film platform anymore, of new films at least, after these eight. And out of these eight, I think there's one or two worth seeing. So be on your lookout, and we'll catch all y'all on the next episode of the boom bastic chaos. Peace.